Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Scripturosity with, with the, the Lanky, Lanky guys. guys. Yes, we did it. We pulled the trigger. We are changing the name of the podcast. Scripturosity, my friends, with the Lanky Guys. I am Scott Powell. And I am Father Peter Mussey. And we're doing it. We're, you know what? You might notice a bunch of little, little, little changes in the podcast. We're trying to step it up. We're trying to be as excellent as we can and make this best podcast possible for your time yeah we're trying to make it worth your time everybody yeah because we know that you guys give us like 45 minutes of your time or 52 depending on how long we talk but that's what we want to we want to be like efficient streamlined i do always wonder if you give us all of it or if you start listening and then after like 25 minutes you're like i gotta go Dude, so I got an insight. You know okay. how if you've been listening to the podcast for the while, you know, uh, for a while, you know that like um, me. Um, Scott's been listening to the podcast for a long time, every week. And um, what happens is that we like talk forever. I learned that the Baselli brothers do not actually skip our stuff. We already talked about this. No, I know, I know, I know. Okay, sorry, Bob Baselli told me that what he does is that he puts it on double speed on the podcast. And then at the pause, right before we start, he goes back to normal speed. So How we actually, so our pause? funny section is- We have a pause? I, I don't know. I guess we do. I guess we do. But yeah, but that's 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 how we do it. We we like pause, and so we're you know um, recently I we've received a lot of amazing and constructive criticism. A surprising amount in a very short amount of time. Yeah, it all it, just sort of popped up. Yep, absolutely. It was it was kind of like um, you if you had the setting on your web browser as not having pop ups. Yep, and then all of a sudden. It did have pop-ups. Yep. That's what we had. So we're like, clean your Mac. I don't know. I don't, I, I'm well, no, it's, it's different, though, because, you know, we get criticisms all the time. Yeah. But these people were people that we know and we love and we know <laughs> love us and who, you know, said, we love your podcast, but here's where I think we can be better. So it's different than, like, if you just get those warnings. It's like if Steve Jobs actually sent you an email, I guess from the grave, because he's dead, <laughs> but, you know, about your Apple and said, hey, you need to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It was not just... So, anyway. So one of the effects of all of this criticism and uh, and encouragement is that, you know, at the Word on the Hill, we... Scripturosity, uh, Father Peter. I know. Well, oh, the sorry. Word on the Hill was a little bit... Oh. Wordy. Uh, it was... Boring, oh, dull, oh, lame. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, like, I mean, it kind of made the best sense. we could do on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, but it was kind of forgettable. And so we have decided. So we're going to be in the process of doing a little bit of rebranding um, ah. with the Lanky Guys. Everybody still can search for the Lanky Guys because um, even though Scott and I have both um, gained in girth um, since we began this podcast. You mean? What yeah, do you yeah. Mean by that. I mean that your belly. Really, this is the thing I've is, dude, we, out. we just ate bratwurst before yeah. our. You know that we have lunch before we ever podcast with you guys. So if you're wondering why we talk so much, we've already been talking a bunch. Like, and it just we kind just of got over, warmed up. Yeah, we just getting warmed up. <laughs> yeah, somebody suggested that we maybe get together beforehand and do all of our small talk and catching up then. And I was like, <laughs> we already do that for an hour before the podcast. <laughs> this is this is us already caught up. Oh, but man. maybe that's the prompt problem um okay so we should jump in shall we dude this week the water is good my toes are feeling like is warm yeah okay so we are looking at we are where are we we're in the 22nd sunday of ordinary time which could be blessed john oh no we're not no No, we're not that's not what we are we're 23rd 23rd sorry we had a conversation this morning in my office about last week's readings yep so i had them pulled up 
So it's, we're in the 23rd. So he, he, he studied those last no, for I did today. Not. Stop it. I know. I studied Don't the real ones poop. too. But so it's the 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, okay. which I like the, the names of these saints for the, the September 7th, which is Blessed John Duckett. Duckett. Duckett and Blessed Ralph Corby. Oh, I I know him. He was my butcher. No, I, doesn't he sound like a butcher in Brooklyn or something? Hey, I'm Ralph Corby. This I'm Father, is... Ralph, Father Ralph Corby. Pray for us. <laughs> I knew it. I went to college with a guy who's now a CFR, so he's one of those Franciscan priests in the Bronx. And he was from Long Island, so we had this thick accent. He would just go up and down the halls just listing people's names. He'd be like, Scott Powell of Boulder. Pray for us. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. It was funny at the time. That wasn't as funny telling the story. <laughs> no, no, no. But anyway, it Ralph, was really very Ralph, funny. Actually. Whatever his name is, pray for us. You, you made it existential by the thing. Oh, good. Yeah, it's all meta. So our first reading today is from Zeke, dude. It's Zeke thirty-three seven through nine, man. Also known as Ezekiel. <laughs> Ezekiel, yeah, yeah, 33, 7 through 9. Which Our, the worst Zeke in the whole world is from Lost, man. Oh, no, no, no. That was Bluebeard said, what's up, Zeke? But that's in the first season. So we're going to move on to the response. Who's Lost? Dude, no. Do you remember when Bluebeard- we shouldn't go here. At the very beginning of the first season, he goes, he's like, what's up, Zeke? Oh, no. And um, and uh, what's his name calls Bluebeard Zeke? But that's, I don't know. This is very obscure, and I can't even remember everybody's name. I don't remember, and I liked Lost. Okay. Our okay. psalm, responsorial psalm, is Psalm 95. No, is that true? Yeah. Oh, no wonder. It's because I was looking at last week's. Okay. Psalm 95, which I know very well. Uh, <laughs> verses 1 through 2, 6 through 7, 8 through 9. Verse taken from- Verse eight. Verse eight. Eight. And then we are in uh, Romans, your favorite. My favorite. It It is sort of my favorite, but the longer the dissertation goes on, the more we're becoming enemies. But I still love Romans very, very much. <laughs> dude, you're, a Roman, you're a Roman Catholic, dude. There's no way. Oh, uh, it's true. So we're in Romans 13th. Uh, 13th. 13th. We had, we had Romans 13th. The 13th book of Romans. Chapter 8 through 10. <laughs> Actually, it's <laughs> verses 8 through 10. Okay. I don't even know what's going Fair on enough. there. And our gospel is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. A very famous set of readings. Yeah. Yeah. It's, these are good readings for Father Brady, who's walking through the thing, getting ready to say Mass for the old people. Hi, Father Brady. So <laughs> I love this book uh, by John Henry Re- or Patrick Henry Reardon about Christ and the Psalms, and it's kind of my go to for the Psalms. But I swear, every single week for the last like couple months, <laughs> it's begun with Psalm, whichever, has for many centuries been the opening of the Christian day. <laughs> like, they can't all be the first Psalm of the day, can they? No. Well, there's there's like three have or four. Have you been reading this? I, I have. like every single week. It's, yeah. He says the same thing. This is the thing, though, is is it Psalm 95. Um, dude, we just skipped the first reading. I know. I'm not, I'm not. Sorry, I don't mean to get into the Psalm. I just am pointing something out. Okay, let's back up. Ezekiel. <laughs> I, let's not talk about the psalm. I just wanted to note that about the book. Okay. The commentary upon the psalm. Yeah, yeah. No, not he, the psalm itself. He, does, he actually has been saying that we've been going through the uh, introits, as Ooh, they would say. In... Oh, so it, that actually, so he's right. So yeah. he's not just no. out of things to talk about. Okay, so Ezekiel. Let's talk about, his, talk about our buddy Zeke. Dude, Zeke, man. So, <clears throat> what? <laughs> Sorry, you had something to say. No, 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 you no. You should say I, it. No, I was just saying that like that's a good that's like a good nickname. Ezekiel, this is kind of nice. So we've been in Isaiah for a long time, right? Yep. And last week we had Jeremiah. So they're actually following the the liturgy is following the order of how the prophets appear to us in the text and also sort of the historical context too. So Isaiah, remember, Isaiah spans this massive amount of time from, you know, king 
King Ahaz and up until the destruction of the temple and all this stuff. And then Jeremiah, remember, he was sort of on the ground. He was kind of beat up by God. He had to, you know, proclaim this message of, of terror and violence and all this stuff. And he was mad and he saw the destruction of the temple and all this stuff. Yeah. Then we get Ezekiel. So um, we, we've sort of seen this kind of systematic look at what led up to the destruction of the temple in Isaiah and, and um, Jeremiah. And now Ezekiel... <laughs> Ezekiel, me, I have a little bit of a cold. So yeah, you, I apologize, everyone. Yeah, you you sound a little congested. Yeah, I'm a little bit sicky. sicky. You know, you know what? Nar, I, nar. I have I have a sicky sicky nar nar, dude. That's, that's Tom's here right there. That's so Colorado. I have a I have a uh, medical solution for you. It's called Ezekiel bread. Oh, very ah, good, very yeah, good, yeah, very yeah. funny, very funny. You know Ezekiel bread. If you guys all eat Ezekiel bread out there, do you know that it was actually given in the book as a punishment for people? So it's this whole health food movement that it makes this complete protein. It's all this great stuff, but it was actually a punishment. And it was to be eaten on top of dung. So <laughs> you're not eating it properly unless you're eating it on a plate of poop, according to the scriptures. Anyway, we should move on. <laughs> I'm just being biblically accurate. That's all. All right. So here's the thing. Isaiah and Jeremiah were looking at the destruction of Jerusalem from the perspective of Jerusalem itself, right? Okay. So they were there. They were on the ground. They were watching it all take place. Ezekiel gives a slightly different perspective on the same story that we've been in the last couple of weeks, which is kind of cool, right? So here's Ezekiel's deal. So Ezekiel was a priest, so he was he was fairly noble. He was... Was he a Levitical priest? I believe so, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, so he was a Levitical priest. He was taken... So when, when Babylon came... Um, so Jeremiah, you know, has been talking about it's coming. You got to turn your ways. You got to, you got to watch out. It's going to come. It comes. So, uh, not, uh, what's his face? Nebuchadnezzar comes, the king of Babylon. They take over Jerusalem. And remember, they took waves of exiles. And so the way that, uh, Babylon's immigration strategy went was basically they would go into a nation and then they would find the most successful people, right? The craftsmen, the most valuable people who could do something. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were take them about first. Yeah. yeah. We talked about this. Take them first. Then they would come back and kind of find other skilled people and, you know, the, the kind of laborers. Take them. And then they would come back and find all the poor and, you know, the homeless and, and everyone else. And then they would just kill them off. And well, they said, you're worthless to us. Well, our immigration policies is are, a little bit similar. Well, yeah, that's the thing is that, is, is that if you want to go there, but you want to defect from a country, you, you know, if you're a valuable intellectual, yeah, it's like, like, what are, what are you offering? And are you a skilled laborer? And then. And then it starts to go down from there, and then we then we start to, to reject those who are. But w- which is and so funny because it's opposite in our in our world. Because yeah, I mean, I w- I spent some down in, time down in Houston, and I'll tell you that e- economically, you really need unskilled immigrant labor for the economy for a lot of this stuff to be able to actually even go. And that's where it's yeah. so it gets so confusing. You well, know? this is where the church steps in and says, you know, look, we don't want to make a political statement about immigration. But we need to uphold the dignity of the human person. Yes. And yeah, it's great that we have the skilled people from these countries, but we have to pay attention to the poorest of the poor and how are they actually being treated. So anyway. Anyway. But it is, it is yeah, strikingly reminiscent. So Ezekiel, being a Levitical priest and kind of more noble, was taken very early on. I think he was taken in the first wave of exiles. So he doesn't actually see Jerusalem fall. He's taken up to Babylon before Jerusalem is destroyed. So there's actually a long time in between his capture and taken up to Babylon and then the fall of Jerusalem. So what Ezekiel does 
he's given these series of visions by God. So up in Babylon, which is present day Iraq, he's given visions of what's happening back in Jerusalem. So while Isaiah and Jeremiah tell you about the destruction of the temple from an earthly perspective, they simply tell you what's happening. Yeah. Ezekiel gives you the same story, but he has a heavenly perspective. Dim bones, God gives them bones. So he's giving you what God is showing him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which is a really profound insight into this story being told from different perspectives. Which is super cool because <clears throat> what what happens is that if you read Ezekiel and his his divine prophecies, what you'll find <clears throat> is that it's very reminiscent and very striking in the same kind of tone that Revelation sets. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And one of the one of the really important themes that comes up in Ezekiel. So do you remember what one of the very first visions Ezekiel saw was? Them bones, them bones, no, them. that was later in oh, okay, like thirty seven. Um didn't you see the, chapter the, one, the, the fiery chariot? Yeah, the fiery chariot. Do you remember what that represented? No. Well, what does a fiery chariot usually I mean, represent? It's the throne of God. The throne of God, right? But here's the thing. So the throne of God had been seen before, and there had been writings about this, but Ezekiel saw it on wheels, which was weird. So here's the throne of God, but it's mobile somehow. <laughs> but where is Ezekiel? He's in Babylon. He's in Babylon. And what's everybody thinking? We have no God anymore. He's left us because God was in Jerusalem. We're up in Babylon now. What do we do? And Ezekiel has shown this vision of a God who is mobile. He's on wheels, which is just kind of a, a beautiful way of expressing, look, God is not tied to Jerusalem. He's not tied... He is fully present in the Eucharist, in the tabernacle, yeah. but he is—he extends beyond that. He is everywhere, and he is mobile, and he will work with us no matter where we are yeah. to bring him back to himself. And so that's one of the things Ezekiel is meant to remind, because again, he's among all these exiles who are losing hope, and he's saying, no, look, God is here as well. God is God's not tied. You can't put him in a little box and then lock the door. He is, well, I mean, you, you he's on wheels. You, you kind of you can't. I was, as I was saying that, I thought of the tabernacle <laughs> and locking the door, but... But that doesn't lock God in. It keeps people from doing stupid things. So Ezekiel, okay, three parts of Ezekiel. Here's your crash course on Ezekiel, okay? Part part one, you've broken the covenant, therefore repent, okay? Israel broke the covenant. Broke the covenant. Repent. Covenant's broken. Repent. Which is the same thing that Isaiah and Jeremiah said, right? Because we're, we're dealing with exile stuff. Same stuff. Part two, you didn't repent. Didn't work. It didn't happen. Therefore, judgment is coming on you. You're going to get judged. There's going to be punishment. You're going to be in exile for a while. And not only that, but it's also coming to the other nations who do not turn back to God, right? So judgment's coming upon the world. To us, to the world out there, to the people who know God, to the people who rejected God, to the people who, you know, are doing foolish things, right? Okay? No repentance equals punishment. Okay, so no repentance. So yeah, yeah. First one, repent or go into exile. First one, you broke the covenant, so repent. Okay. Second one, you didn't repent, so there's going to be punishment. Yep. Okay. Third part, which is what we enter into today, this is where we enter the story, is, um, let's see, uh, three, it says, even though there's going to be punishment because you didn't follow the covenant, there is hope for a glorious reconstruction of God's plan. Oh. He's going to, he's going to provide. And that's, that's sort of the way all the prophets work, right? There's punishment, but the punishment is always there for, uh, is always leading us to hope. God is always going to rebuild, 
where where things are destroyed. Right? Yeah, once you hit rock bottom, you know that there's there's actually like the only place to go is up. Yeah, God's never going to leave us there. There is punishment, but you know, punishment. And any good parent knows this. Punishment is not just for punishment's sake. Punishment is for the sake of reconciliation, the sake of recon- of, of rebuilding, and the sake of learning and and making things better. Right. Yeah. You don't just send your child to their room or ground them or take away some toy because you're mean. You do it so they they will learn and they will actually become better. So God punishes not just because he's ticked off at us, but so that we can actually become restored and reconciled and better human beings, right? So that's the third part, and that's where we step in. So 33 is actually interesting. Um, It's kind of like a transition. So uh, 30, uh, the previous part, ending in chapter 32, was all about the destruction of the nations, the punishment that will come on all the nations who reject God. 33 is this kind of a, a transition period which takes this message from judgment into hope. And 34 really starts the message of hope. So 33, we're smack in the middle of judgment and hope. And this is the bridge that takes us from one to the other. And it's a pretty short reading. It says, thus says the Lord, you son of man, that is Ezekiel. So he's talking to Ezekiel. You son of man, I have appointed as a watchman for the house of Israel. And when you hear me say anything, you shall warn them for me. Now, the irony of this is that they're already in exile. Jerusalem's already being destroyed. It's, it's a done deal. So it's not repent or else Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Repent or else you're going to go in exile. They already have. Yeah. But they still need to repent. Yeah. They still need to turn back from their uh-huh. wickedness. Uh, when you hear me say anything, you shall warn them for me. If I tell the wicked, a wicked one, you shall surely die. And if you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked from his way, then the wicked one's going to die from his guilt. But I'm going to hold you responsible for, your, for his death, which is a pretty profound statement which gets echoed in the gospel which gets totally echoed in the gospel and it but it but it's always it's always really tough to deal with i just have to say oh, yeah. from from a contemporary point of view where we live in a in a culture that is uh, morally uh morally taking themselves out of a of a western tradition or any really real tradition and actually mm-hmm. found itself um, kind of in a, in a larger part into hedonism, which is the se- avoiding of pain and seeking of pleasure. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it always it always accuses me. Well, it's supposed to, because as we see that, we're actually, what this tells us is that we're supposed to do something about it. And to the extent that we don't do anything about it, the guilt falls on us. But then, but if you warn the wicked, trying to turn him from his way, and he refuses to turn from his way, he shall die for his guilt, but you shall save yourself. Right. And that's like, boom. Dude, well, this is interesting, because today... Is the fe- we're recording the podcast on the feast of Saint Gregory the Great Wednesday Wednesday and um, yeah, there's a homily on Ezekiel by Saint Gregory the Great Pope <coughs> which is in the office of readings today which uh, he says this uh, son of man I've made you a watchman of the house of Israel he says note that a man whom the Lord sends forth as a preacher is called a watchman a watchman okay. always stands on a height so that he can see f- uh, for afar what is coming. Anyone appointed to be a watchman for the people must stand on a height for all his life to help them by his foresight. He says, how hard is this for me to say this? For by these very words, I denounce myself. I cannot preach without any competence, and yet insofar as I do succeed, still I myself do not live according to my own preaching. Wow. Dude, isn't that intense? I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, that and then is intense. and then he goes on, and he's like, he's just rec- recognizing his kind of frailty and his humanity and the relationship to this call to like be a like a for real deal watchman. I was reading that this morning, and I was like meditating on Ezekiel, and I read the office readings, and I was like, God, well, Ezekiel you're so is kind. Called, Ezekiel is called a watchman. Yeah, yeah. Is he called one here? 
Yeah. Says, oh, yeah. It's, yeah this Watchmen. He's preaching on literally this. <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> no, he knew we were podcasting today. He did. Which was really good of him to help us out. Dude, I really think he did. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, So I still don't know what to do with this, though, to be honest. I mean, oh, no, I, that's not true. I know what to do with it. Here's the thing, though. So this first reading gives us, um, well, it, it tells us that, well, how do I say this? So, okay, we look at the world. The world's a wreck, right? Yes. People are living in radical disobedience to God. That's just the fact, right? That's, that's just, our culture. That's what we see. Yeah. So the question is, what are we supposed to do about it? Do we ignore it? Do we circle the wagons? Those are the first two options. According to Ezekiel, are those two things acceptable? No. No. Do we stand on a street corner and preach against it? I don't think that's the right thing. I don't either. think that's the right thing either, right? This is where... There's a, a kind of a supernatural prudence and grace that has to come in here because we can't just ignore it and say, well, you know, tough luck for those people. They're far from God. But, you know, and this is what the Pharisees said. Thank goodness I'm not like them, right? Like these yeah. terrible hypocrites and tax collectors and prostitutes. Yeah. We can't say that. But if we if we stand up and, you know, there's a guy that hangs out at CU on the campus just a couple blocks away that'll go on that big thing outside the UMC by the big fountain. Yep. And he just yells at people how they're going to hell. It's and, horrible. Which is a terrible idea. But I can see him reading Ezekiel and be like, yes, this is what I have to do. This is what Ezekiel is calling. This is what God is calling me through Ezekiel to do. That's not what you're supposed to do. Don't stand at people and shout that they're condemned and then they're wicked. Well, see, this it actually takes it takes something. something and, and this is what it takes. <clears throat> this is actually in the subcontext of what he's saying. He says, and if you do not speak out to dissuade the wicked from his way. Oh, I see where you're going. It's relationship. You actually are called are to be Are you actually dissuading them or are you just shouting at them? Are you just shouting at them? Because there's a quid quid retributor retributor so good a modem retributus principle working here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> which means that which is received is received according to the mode of the receiver. That's why the, all those words repeat. Which is, which is like, there's a principle in the midst of this. It's like saying, like, what, is, what does it actually take to dissuade somebody, somebody who is pursuing wicked things from their way? Yes. Man, I will well, tell you, that is where we live. That's what we do on our college campus yeah. is that there's a lot of people who have taken a culture to themselves, which is destroying their very nature. Yes. Now, this isn't everybody. And there's a lot no, of people of that are just like holy and awesome. <clears throat> and then the holy and awesome ones, every once in a while, they sit you down and they say, hey... Like like people telling us to quit being funny, you know. They say oh. they're trying to just. <laughs> they're not saying to quit being funny. I know. Well, was, some people are. That was for the love of everything that's holy. Stop using puns. Oh well, that's debatable whether those are funny or not. <laughs> so anyway. Thank, thanks for that. I really appreciate. It. No, but that's the thing is, you know, people said, "Hey, stop checking Facebook while you guys are on on um on on the podcast," yeah, which right. is which is actually like, you know what? Okay, you guys, we accept we're part of the culture, and guess what happens inside of us is that we get caught into this thing, and but then somebody actually stands up and says, "You know what? Don't that's answer not- your phone when you're doing a podcast. Talk to me." Did I, I did answer my phone last time. I've I? done it too. I was like, "Oh, did Father Peter do that?" And he was like, "You did it. T- you've done it too." <laughs> which is but I but the only reason I accepted that is because I know this person and I trust them mm-hmm. and I know that they love me and I know yes. that they want our good and I know that they actually love the podcast and so when he said that I was like wow that kind of stings but yeah you're you're probably right but I can hear that because I trust you and I know you you can't just go up to somebody on the street and, and start telling them how how they're sinning or not that that was yeah. a sin that we answered our phone but which leads us know. yeah which leads us to this which leads us to what 
if today you hear his voice. Ah, I knew it. Harden not your heart. Ah. So, if today... So, this is Psalm 90... Brother <laughs> Peter just shoved the mic into my face. <laughs> I was just in an effort to, to fix it. But you, you did just it. shove it into my face. I did. <laughs> um, Psalm 95, which I, I think I made fun of this in the beginning of the podcast, didn't I? Yeah. Which is traditionally the prayer that Christians pray <laughs> to the beginning of the day. <laughs> which is what Patrick Henry Reardon says for every psalm that we've been reading lately. But that's okay. And in this psalm, though, one thing that struck me, though, in, in what I read from him... Um, there is all of this. So if it's a prayer that's been traditionally prayed at the beginning of the day, it it begins with this invitation to praise God. It says, Oh, come, let us exalt in the Lord. Let us shout with joy to God our salvation. Let us come with confession before his faith. Shout to him in joy with the Psalms. Come, let us adore and fall down and weep before the Lord who made us. And here's what Reardon says. He says, all of these sentiments will mark our prayer during the course of any Christian day. Joy and exaltation, exclamation and resounding praise, humble adoration, weeping before the Lord, sorrow for our sins, sometimes the joy of his redeeming grace. All of these things should actually be a part of the Christian day. Like we recognize God, we weep for our sins, we'll go through struggles, we'll have joys, we'll have tears, we'll have laughter. All of these things actually mark the Christian day. And all of these things are, in a certain sense, salvation history in short right? Our day, the Christian day, should contain the story of salvation history. We are faithful one moment, we'll screw up another moment, we will be brought back to God's grace, Mm. we'll ask for forgiveness, we'll laugh at things, we'll weep over things that are hard in the world because the world's a messy place, we'll rejoice over things that we see that are good. If we have the eyes of faith, we should be able to see the entire story of salvation history in our everyday lives. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. That's what I took from that. So if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. See the story. Recognize what he's doing. And even in the bad parts, even in the parts where you've blown it, recognize, hear his voice, and don't harden your hearts to that and turn away from those things and, and uh, become embittered or, or shamed or whatever. Turn back to him. Enter into the story because you realize the people who have come before you. You realize that the story of Ezekiel, for example, contains this statement that you got to repent, a summary of the fact that they didn't repent, and then a, 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 a you know, telling that there's going to be hope despite that. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That is sure. the Christian day, and that's what this psalm is actually doing in the Psalter. Wh- which, so is, take that. which is cool, because at the end of the psalm, because, I mean, I literally pray this every morning of my life. Oh, because it's the first yeah. prayer of the Christian day yeah. in the Christian tradition. Yeah. 40 years I endured that generation. I said they are people whose hearts go astray and they do not know my mm-hmm. ways. So I swore in my anger they shall not enter into my rest. That's how it enders. Uh, how it enders. enders. <laughs> how it, it enders game. Um, but no, how it ends, which is so funny because, like, it actually stands as a stern warning saying, like, you know, like, I sometimes, like, I mean, that's, like, every, I've thought about this a lot where I'm, like, that is such an intense way to end the first prayer of the day. Yeah. Like, no, because the truth is, is that I actually don't want to be endured by God, <laughs> and I really want to enter into the promised land. Yes. And, that like, that is the promise, but, that like, there are those before me that have stand as witnesses um, that saying that say existentially yes. that they have not entered. So so yes. listen to the voice of the Lord. Cry and weep and exult and joy and and mourn all of this stuff and yeah. in the midst of it because then what ends up happening is that you you're you live in as as a watchman. You're able to actually perceive because a prophet ultimately is the one who just speaks truth, not the one who speaks the future. Yes, absolutely. But I mean, we all we all know what the future is because we've been given to the mind of Christ. 
And we know salvation history, and history tends to repeat itself. Right? Yeah, isn't there a song? Like, I, I feel like there's a song for that. I feel like breaking out in musical. You should. History, but I don't know the history song. Repeats. History repeats itself on the eagle's wings. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't gonna, know. I have to think, like, um, I, it's like some al- alternative indie song or something. I don't even know. Man. So not what I was singing. Yeah, no. The, the, on eagle's wings. <laughs> history. History. Oh, on it's the best. Yeah, man. So Romans, that leads us to Romans. <laughs> that doesn't that lead, lead nobody it to Romans. It does. Dude. It led everybody. That's what they were thinking. They're like, oh, that reminds me of the second reading. <laughs> They're like, so reading two. Why does this happen? <laughs> so Romans 13. Now, if you remember from last week, we're, we're in Paul's kind of wrapping up section of the letter. So. What is that a reference to? I don't understand. He's wrapping up the section. Wrapping up. Oh, oh brilliant man. pun. That was it. Take that, dude. Stephanie. Yeah, Stephanie, we love you. <laughs> um, oh, that was good. That was a good rap, too. Yeah, thanks. That was a good beat you laid down. So, again, so he's, he's kind of giving his so what's, right? Brothers so, and sisters. Brothers so and sisters owe nothing to any. Okay. Brothers and sisters owe nothing to anyone <laughs> except to love one another. one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Fulfilled the, the commandments law. you should command. Now, okay, what? Okay, so let's think about this in a second. For a second, let's because I mentioned to you earlier. I think this is the bridge passage between the first reading and the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, brothers and sisters, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Mm-hmm. What was mm-hmm. the law, or the commandment mm-hmm. given to Ezekiel? Um, warn your brother if they're committing sin and help them to repent. He, well, it wasn't. It didn't say help them to repent. I mean, that's implied, and we can kind of deduce dissuade. that. Dissuade. It said warn them and dissuade them from doing it, right? And if they don't listen to you, then it's their tough luck. It's their tough luck. Right? Warn, warn, and dissuade. So, what does Paul say in Romans? What should, what did Ezekiel owe to his fellow countrymen? Love. L- literally, though, let, let's take it piece by piece. What did he owe? To them, according to the first reading. Pointing out their sin. Pointing out their sin. Now, what does Paul say we all owe one another? Love. So how do we point out their sin? I mean, you, know, you see what I'm doing? Well, you do. Oh. How do you put the pieces of this together? How do we point out the sins of a wicked world? We love one another. What do we owe another person? Well, we owe them actually what God told to Ezekiel. We actually owe it to the world that we actually point out that there is a higher there is a higher a higher power. There is a God who loves them. There's yeah. a God who died for them. There is a reason to turn away from the things that are actually destroying us, both individually and as a culture. There's a good reason that we should not be doing these things. Why should we do that? Because what we owe them at the end of the day is to love them. We owe it to them that we turn them away from their wickedness or we do our best. How do we do that? It's through the love that we actually owe to all of these people. So I, I'm seeing this as the, in my mind, this is the link between everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a phenomenal link. And so he goes on, the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not kill, you should not steal, you should not covet, and whatever the other command, and whatever other commandment there may be, because I forgot the other seven right now, are summed <laughs> up, and he didn't forget them, are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, love does no evil to the neighbor, hence love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no evil to the neighbor. What do we want so many, those of you listening or you and I who are, you know, good, faithful Christians and we do the things we're supposed to do and we're Orthodox and we read, you know, Catholic News Agency and we, you know, we we watch EWTN, we do all the right stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We look out at the world and what do we think so often? 
We look at the we look at CU, we look at Boulder, we look at people in our world, and I just think, what a bunch of idiots, what a bunch of fools, what is wrong with these people, right? But love does no evil to his neighbor. It doesn't even think evil to his neighbor. I was reading, mm. oh man, last night. So th- there's a book by Michael O'Brien called The Father's Tale. Have yeah, you read yeah. that one? Yeah, I have. You've read the whole thing? Oh yeah, I have. Mm. Well, I'm about halfway through the 3,000 pages or whatever I've it read is. it in manuscript. Whatever, dude. dude. Oh yeah, that's right. Did you actually read the manuscript? Well, I'm pretty sure I took it from you before you had a chance. Top to bottom, man. Oh, all right. It's a very long book. But in the middle, there's this point, there's this, there's this section about this priest from Russia who watched, you know, Hitler take over his native land and then his family moved to Russia and then the communists took over and all, all these different things. And he, there's this section where he's talking about his parents and how his, and I, I was so, I read it on the airplane coming back from Chicago on Monday night, but he was talking about his parents and, um, as he was growing up under Hitler and then into the communists and just the hor- he was describing the horrors of the world in yeah. this part of the world at this time. And I wish I had it in front of me, but he was basically saying how, um, I have your manuscript. Don't look in your shelf. It's in my house. <laughs> it's in my office. Um, but he was saying how his parents, God bless his parents. They were people of great faith because they shielded him and they protected him. They did not let he and his siblings see hatred. He did not, they did not let them see the terror that they faced. I mean, they, they saw the terror. They understood the horrors of the age, but they never saw their parents embittered. They never saw their parents speak an evil word. They never saw their parents give in to the fear and the horror. They saw them confident and loving and trusting, and they whispered in the child's ear every night, don't worry, Christ is coming soon. It's okay. And I, I, was, I, was, I, I ear, dog-eared the page, which I don't like doing, but I marked it just because... Even as a parent, it was so profound to think of. Because, again, how often do we, as a parent especially, and a lot of you as are parents, do we look out in the world and be like, oh, my gosh, this is horrifying. How am I going to teach my child that that thing is wrong? Or these things that the schools are going to indoctrinate? Or these things in the media? Or this change in policy? Or, the you know, whatever new laws the government's going to pass, which I'm terrified of, and I don't know how I'm going to deal with that with my kids. And I was reading that passage about horrors facing the world and how... This person is a fictional person, but this fictional person became a priest ultimately because his parents held no anger, held no hatred to these people. Mm-hmm. And how many parents, how many of us who are parents or priests or whoever just want to hate the world because it's, it's a hateable place. And there's people that are doing things that are worthy of hatred, but the people are not to be hated. And when we fall into a spirit of terror and fear and hatred and bitterness and evil, which we want to do sometimes when people are destroying the world, then we give in to the temptation of the evil one. That we, we, we are used by him in a certain sense because we've become the very thing we're trying to fight. Does that make any sense? I'm kind of rambling a little bit. No, it makes a but ton of so sense. But I was so struck by that. I mean, I called my mom once and somebody was being mean to me. Only once? I mean, there was oh, this Marie. one time that I called my mom and, and uh, I was like, I'm going to treat this person exactly how they're treating me. I'm like, I just want them to get a flavor of what this experience is like. And my mom was like, oh, great. That's really good. You get to become what you <laughs> hate. Ooh, mom. Go become what you hate. And I was like, uh, yeah. I was like, I was like, but I really want to. And she's like, good, go, go do it. It'd be fun. But that's the temptation of the age. I Boy, think. howdy is it. And that's what Christians are falling into left and right. We want to circle the wagons and we want to hate the world. Don't we? Yeah. You see this. You're a good faithful Christian. So you yeah. who love your neighbor as yourself, love does no evil to the neighbor. 
So when we see the worst people committing the worst sins on our campus and our world and our government, to look at them and feel hatred is exactly to give in to the tr- what we're trying not to be, exactly what you said. That's it. That's yeah. the fight. And that's how we're to be like Ezekiel, who is called to actually do something to dissuade the wicked from their ways. But you have to temper that with St. Paul saying, but love does no evil to his neighbor. So dissuade the wicked, point out their evil, but love does no evil to them. And that's the fine tension we have to live in as Christians. Yep. Anyway, that was what I was struck by. Me too. Which is a perfect entrance. I mean, I see why you actually have are calling this the bridge because yeah. if your brother sins against you, go tell oh, him his right. fault. I kind of forgot what the gospel was. <laughs> yeah, right. Which, which is actually, I, I want to preface this. Okay. Um, so we're in the 18th, 18th <laughs> chapter of Matthew. Mm-hmm. As we started in the 18th chapter, this whole thing, the the uh, the apostles, the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, um, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Yeah. And Jesus takes a child and puts mm. it in their midst and says this, this child. And then he's- This, this thing. This, this thing here <laughs> is the greatest in the kingdom that- Beautifully done. Mm-hmm. So and so he goes off about actually what does it look like to be childlike, and then yeah. what what happens if you give scandal to one of these little ones? What does it look like if you cut off your foot or your hand if it causes you to sin? In rela- and it is all about actually the these mikron as as uh, in the as the Greek says these little ones. If you cause mm-hmm. one of these little ones to sin, until finally. We actually get to this place. Uh, I mean, this is 15 verses in, in yeah. 8, 8, 18, where he says, okay, if your brother like it causes you to sin, I mean, if your brother sins against you, yeah. then this is actually the pattern. And yes. so, so it's this really interesting yeah. part where he's actually um, doing a little bit of dual thing where, where I'm, I'm trying to understand who the well, Micron is. Well, what he just finished. So where, where did he say that? Where did he talk about the little ones? Oh, goodness. Do you remember? My, my, my book is in the chapel. It was, it was not far ago. It wasn't long ago, right? Was, oh yeah. It was in verses. verses eight and nine. Yeah. Yeah. But we missed something. So there's verse eight, eight and nine about the little ones coming to me and whoever leaves them to sing a, a millstone, tie around their neck, throw them into the water. But then in between the two, you got the parable of the lost sheep, right? Yes. Verses 10 through 14. So, um, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you, they're angels, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, the the lost sheep. So we just finished talking about the lost. So this section that we're entering into now, verse 15 through 20, Jesus just told his disciples to care for his people by seeking out the lost. And here he's laying out this three-part pattern for how to reconcile people who are in serious sin. And remember, if you read this carefully, this is not people who you know, are doing little little things here and there wrong. But I mean, the, the principles indicate that these concern grave matters, grave sin, not little things, right? I think that much is clear. Yep. So who are the lost sheep? Well, it's the people in your, in this case, it's the people in your community who have committed grave evils and who are actually in your midst, right? The people in the church who are lost. And I think that's an important warning, not warning, but there's a good insight for us. I mean, how many people are there in the pews right stinking next to us or who we go to work with, who we know are Catholic, but maybe don't go to mass, who are actually part of the faith, but are lost sheep nonetheless. And this is the step-by-step instruction with how to deal with them, right? Yes. So these are the lost. So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I think the word that actually, the Greek word that, that when it says tell him, it means literally to lay open or to uncover. 
And there's a suggestion in the Greek that he might just not know, which I think is very kind of beautiful. It does. It, it says, tell him in the English translation. But in the Greek, it says, uncover it for him, lay open it for him, because he might not know that he's doing something serious. So how do you do that? Well, you do it in love. I mean, you, you'd counter it with what St. Paul actually said. Um, and uncover this, you know, lay this open before w- between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, then you've won over your brother, right? Which is a very big deal. Um, uh, yeah, you, you have won over your brother, which I think reminds us, again, of the previous couple of verses, this picture of the shepherd rejoicing over his recovery of the lost sheep, right? And putting him on his shoulders. And so if you go and if, if there's somebody who's done something against you in the church and you go tell them something one-on-one, then everybody, if they hear what you have to say, put them on your shoulders and bring them back to mass, right? Just lay them up there and then just <laughs> run. Fireman carry. <laughs> right. Is that not funny? That is that very funny. No, I, it was not. It, was, it wasn't very funny. Don't be a poop. Um, okay. So that's option number one. If he doesn't listen... Well, here's the other thing that I find fascinating. He's upped the ante from Ezekiel. So remember what Ezekiel was told? You're go, you're to go and, and lay this, uncover this, tell them their wickedness. If they don't listen to you, what should you do in Ezekiel? Let them go because they're going to burn. Yeah, they're going to burn. What does Jesus say? If they don't listen to you. Come back with another so that all the things can be confirmed. Try it again. Yeah. Keep trying continuously. It gives you three different chances. So... Things have changed from the Old Testament law to the New Testament law, right? We're not just going to let somebody go, especially if they're a lost sheep. So, yeah, bring somebody else. Bring two or three witnesses. We don't know if these are witnesses of the sin or just witnesses of the of the discipline. But And if they refuse to listen to that, go tell the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or tax collector. This is what I'm most struck by in today's reading. I was really this one I could not make sense of. Because, oh my gosh! Well, because because partly, I mean, it's like I look at what is what does Jesus do for the Gentiles and the tax yes. collectors? That's the question. That's it exactly. What does he do? He d- draws them in. He invites yes. them even more. Exactly. So the way we're all tempted to read this, which is if they don't listen even to the church then just cast him off and just ignore him. Yeah, no, that's not what he's saying. Treat him as a Gentile, a tax collector. How does Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? By, like you said, going out, sharing meals with them, trying even more to draw them in. That's what he does. Mm. So we read this wrongly when we think he's saying what Ezekiel was told, just write him off, forget well, about him. I think it's a little bit like a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the, the um, uh, Syrif, not Syrophoenician woman. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, where, where, she, where he kind of looks the to Canaanite them. Woman. Canaanite John woman. John calls her a Syrophoenician woman. Yeah, he, say, he says, uh, <coughs> you know, he calls her a dog, yeah, kind of exactly. eliciting from them yes, exactly. this, this response. Yeah. And in a certain sense, he's like, treat them as tax collectors yes. and Gentiles. Exactly. And like, this is the exact same thing. And so he's actually playing with their yes, emotions. And, I think so. And playing a little bit with us because yes. well, uh, at, at first glance, we only want to circle the wagons and we only want to actually take care of our own inside. We want to be internal rather than actually, the, no, now, yes. we've, now we've got double time. Here's, okay, here's my last thought on this. And maybe you have more. My last thought is this. This whole section ends by, it goes on, kind of says something binding else. It talks loosing. about the binding and loosing, which he already gave to Peter. Remember, he already gave Peter that authority to bind yes. and loose sins. Now he gives it to the rest of the disciples. And he says, again, I say, you have two of you are granted on earth about anything. It'll be granted to them. And then there's this famous line at the very end, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Okay? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. 
We know that one. We've heard that one before, right? If two people are gathered in his name, Jesus. So is Jesus with us right now? Yes. Presumably, because hopefully we're gathered in his name. There's two of us. He's here. He's actually right over there in the tabernacle, but he's also here in a very real way. Yes. So we know that one, but what did Jesus just say? What was step two of winning back your lost brother or sister? Oh, bring your two or three witnesses. Bring two or three witnesses. I think this gets overlooked constantly. I've never oh my gosh, dude, you're blowing my brain. He says, bring two or three witnesses. What is he saying? Why should we have confidence that this is going to work? Because I'm there with He's you. saying, I'm coming. If you bring two or three people as witnesses to bring this brother back in my name, I am there in your midst. It's not a coincidence, I think, that this particular passage, this lesson is in the context of discipline and trying to point something out and bringing people back. And authority. And authority. Real, actual authority. How can you have confidence in that? Because there I am in your midst. Trust me. Which, again, is a step up from Ezekiel, which was warn them, do it in love. I mean, that's assumed. And if they don't listen, you know what? Heck with them. In this case, it's warn them, do it with love. If they don't listen, go back. I will be with you. If they don't listen to that, go back with the church because I am the church. And if they don't listen to that, then treat it like my ministry. Go out like they've never heard of me before. Introduce me to them. Go and share a meal with them and try to bring them back even slower. That's what I take from this whole thing. And that's the upping the ante of what Ezekiel was told to do. And wow, uh, which, which, is, which is the call. I mean, like, uh, I mean, the Balthazarian trifold thing, election, vocation, mission. Yeah. That like, no, you're, you're actually called into it. You have a specific role in the midst of it, but you have a mission. And that's, yes. that's actually where, like, that's what this thing is. Dude, you just like rocked my socks, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. isn't it so funny how the in, in, intertextual expression, even within a reading itself, like, even within the reading itself, we, yeah. we we almost ignore like yeah. uh, if you're seeing two or three people and then two or three people, you're just yes. like you just connect them together and you're like, yeah. oh, oh, that's what they're doing. It's like n- literally not even rocket science. <laughs> no, it's and I've never seen this before, and I've never read about it. I mean, somebody probably has seen this, but. But I thought it was pretty cool. But then the tax collectors and Gentiles, and the, because Matthew makes an extensive expression because he's a tax collector. <laughs> right, exactly And, and right. how did he get treated? He was called. He was yeah, called exactly. into the core of yes. everything. Yes, that's exactly it. And so like, that's exactly dude, it. that's a, dude, rocked my socks, baby. Pretty cool. Woo-hoo-hoo. All right, everybody, we got to go. Oh, we got in meetings in 10 minutes. And you've been listening for a while. So we will be back next week with a brand new episode. You can send us an email, linkyeyes at thomascenter.org. Find us on Facebook. Send us your questions on Facebook or your comments or your criticisms, and we either will or will not listen to them. <laughs> um, yeah, but we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And uh, and, and and just uh, pay attention. We're going to work out the scripturosity um, transformation as, yep. as we go, and we'll, we'll keep you guys informed about how to discover the scripturosity-ness. In you. (laughs) Okay, see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.